Over the past year and a half, the U.S. has seen a broad upsurge in labor strikes and unionization efforts. Joining us to talk about the historical context around this movement and some of the current strikes happening is Joe Demanuel Hall, an NYC-based organizer with Labor Notes, a media and organizing project that has been the voice of union activists who want to put the movement back in labor movement since 1979. Joe, welcome to the show. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. We're, we're happy to have you with us. So first, let's jump right into to what current strikes are happening on the ground across the U.S. right now. Can, can you tell us can you tell us what's going on and where? Sure. Yeah, there's there's a bunch going on. So I'll try and do it quickly. Uh, and forgive me if there are a couple that I missed because there are a wide variety of them in a, a bunch of different sizes. So a few of, of the, the prominent ones that are going on right now are. Um, uh, pretty recently, 1,400 Kellogg cereal workers with uh, the BCTGM union uh, went out on strike. Uh, these are cereal workers, uh, like prepared cereal workers in Nebraska, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, and Tennessee. Uh, so that's a pretty recent development on the heels of earlier Nabisco strike with the same union on the heels of earlier in this year, the Frito-Lay strike, the same union, which we can talk about a little bit later. Um there are over 2,000 healthcare workers uh, with the Communications Workers Union uh, on strike in Buffalo right now, uh, in Buffalo, New York. The longest strike in Massachusetts history is going on right now um, in, uh, in Massachusetts uh, against Tenet Hospital. There are about 800 nurses with the Massachusetts Nurses Association who are on strike. In a, Sorry, yeah. do you know how long that strike is? Oh, it's been going on oh since uh, early this year. I don't have the date off the top of my head. Um, and how does this uh, upsurge of strikes uh, fit in the context of what we've seen in the last 40 or 50 years with the uh, labor movement, which has frequently been uh, under attack by the bosses and, and big corporations? You know, it's complicated because there's a lot of labor activity going on right now, and there's a lot of stuff on the horizon, which we should talk about, too. Um, things that will be coming up, uh, big strikes, uh, potentially at John Deere with the, the film and television industry, um, at, uh, Kaiser uh, Healthcare, nonprofit healthcare. But still, uh, and especially right now, with without those on the horizon coming up, um, there, the, the level of labor activity in the United States is relatively low, even uh, by historic levels, compared to, say, the 1980s, which we don't typically consider to be the heyday of union activity in the, the wake of the, the PATCO strike, for example, that, that Reagan defeated. Um, but it is, uh, the past few years have been really exciting uh, labor-wise, and I think it's a combination of there's more going on. Uh, than there have been in the past couple of decades. And there are a lot more people paying attention for a variety of reasons. There, uh, there's something in the air. More labor activists are interested in what's going on in other workplaces. And there's also something about the general public that's paying attention more to what's happening in the labor movement and with strikes in particular than, say, seven years ago, I think. And explain a little bit um, better, or not better, more, um, the 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 lack of labor awareness of labor activity uh, since from the 70s until basically now explain how that has to do with deindustrialization and also laws in different states that make it really difficult for people to organize sure yeah so 
Uh, the labor movement has taken a lot of hits in the past decades. Right? This is no secret. The rate of unionization in the United States has steadily gone down. Uh, this is due to a combination of a bunch of things. I think there's deindustrialization plays a part in it. Deregulation plays another big part in it. So on the deindustrialization side, uh, many uh, formerly unionized manufacturing jobs ran away to the southern United States from the industrial Midwest, and also uh, many of those jobs were outsourced. There's still a lot of manufacturing workers in the United States, actually, and numerically not that many fewer than there were during the, say, the 80s, but these workers uh, have a lower rate of unionization um, and for a lot of different reasons. The deregulation side, for example, uh, the deregulation of the trucking industry in the late 70s uh, really, really hit the Teamsters Union, which we'll be talking about a little bit more later. Uh, and going from the, the National Master Freight Agreement, which was this gigantic freight trucking uh, contract that covered hundreds of thousands of workers, uh, went almost overnight, really, or, you know, uh, over the period of a couple of years, just dropped precipitously and uh, helped contribute to the increase of non-union trucking in the United States that's largely done by independent contractors and owner-operators. Uh, who were legally prohibited from forming unions. And of course, the legal situation has not made it uh, any easier to unionize in the United States. So really, I think it's a combination of uh, unfavorable laws and big structural economic changes that have, have played together to, to lower the rates of unionization along with uh, trends within the economy. Uh, I think that there are there's been a lot of hay made about the increase of independent contractor status uh, in the United States of temp agencies and all that. And I think that's a contributing factor, but there are a lot of people in the United States who uh, say that they want unions uh, and in their private sector workplaces and who are unable to form them or are, face a lot of obstacles trying to form them for a lot of different reasons, whether through the franchise structure of something like McDonald's or the really high turnover and anti-union stance of a company like Amazon. Right. And there's a, a poll that's taken every year on the favorability of unions in, in among the American public and this year's poll results came in at around 66 or 67 percent favorable uh, view, and that's uh, about the highest in the last 50 years. I think there was one moment in the last 50 years where it hit about that level, but otherwise it's at a high point in, in recent uh, history. And that obviously would include a lot of Republicans and independents if you're talking about 66 percent uh, approval rating of the idea of unions. Uh, now, of course, only about 10.5% of Americans are in unions. So there's obviously a huge gulf between what maybe people want and what they're able to uh, obtain. But another thing I wanted to ask you about sort of this upsurge in uh, militancy is what is the role of the, the pandemic been? What have workers experienced that might have sh uh, shifted uh, class consciousness or just shifted their sense of, of of their own self-worth and, and not wanting to put up with crummy jobs anymore, or if they were going to work in grueling jobs, uh, insist on being uh, treated and paid better. Sure. Yeah. Well, I think the way that I think about the pandemic is that the, the situations that we're experiencing now, the circumstances we're experiencing now, we're not 
for the most part created by the pandemic, but were exacerbated by them, right? The, the extreme uh, issues that many workplaces, including places where people are on strike or about to go on strike around understaffing, predated the pandemic. I mean, talk to healthcare workers before the pandemic. They will say they were understaffed. The, some of the biggest public fights from healthcare unions over the last six years or so have been around uh, staffing legislation in New York State, Massachusetts, California, right? Um, but they were exacerbated by the pandemic. The issues around uh, in very profitable employers demanding concessions from uh, from workers and seeking to, to create new tiers of lower paid workers predates the pandemic, right? This happened uh, after 2008 and before. Um, and But I think what we've seen is a combination of those things being exacerbated, as well as uh, people experiencing this uh, circumstance where they're being told that this this whole essential worker trope, right, outside of my window in Brooklyn, people banging pots and pans. But then employers, when it comes time to negotiate contracts, when it comes time to talk about wage increases, you know, people were... Uh, in, in many places, lucky if they got 5% hazard pay increases during the pandemic, which is, uh, I mean, it's not nothing, but it's not, I, I think we can certainly agree, it's not what people deserve. It's not much and, for risking your life. Right. I mean, it's not much for a year-to-year -year normal wage increase when you take uh, inflation into account, right, as a cost of living increase, not to mention uh, risking your life in a warehouse or a hospital or whatever, uh, working. And so I think there's there's that, and then this this sort of general uh, I think like an, what I would call an anti-establishment mood that has uh, become more pervasive in the United States over the past decade that I think really contributes to this. People are really pissed off at their employers uh, in really serious ways. They were before the pandemic, and the pandemic really exacerbated that. Um, and I think that. You see, I've seen really two different divergent paths around this, around the way that workers have responded to the pandemic. The first is that uh, most of the strike activity that we're seeing is among uh, the unionized workplace. And I'll come back to that, but I think the reason that we don't see as much of that in, in non-union workplaces, though there has been some during the pandemic, is because the generalized approach to resisting your boss in a country where the workplace is, uh, has such a low union density, it's just to quit, right? You don't fight your boss. You don't get together and take a collective response to your boss. You just quit. And we see that happening right now. I mean, the there are there were more people who quit their jobs in August, uh, this past August, than any time in the past few years, really. And uh, that's because, you know, people are pissed off and they decide, okay, well, I'm just going to leave. And there are economic factors that make it easier for people to do that, um, that uh, give workers structural power that they're taking advantage of. But the real, most of the collective action, I think, that we have seen during the pandemic, and especially right now, sort of like, quote unquote, post-pandemic, has been in the unionized private sector in particular, these big strikes, Kellogg's, uh, the, the Buffalo Healthcare, Massachusetts Healthcare, the Alabama miners, the, there was recently a one-day uh, telecom strike in, with uh, CWA in California. These are all in the private sector, and the big ones that are coming up are also in the private sector. John Deere, the film and television, the 60,000 film and television workers with IOTC, 
and uh, the 40,000 uh, Kaiser healthcare workers around the country who are potentially going to go on strike. And let's talk about this John Deere upcoming strike. Um, uh, we understand that there's been some difficulty between uh, some of the union members and some of the union leadership as far as the strike authorization goes. And, and we're seeing more demands within the UAW United Auto Workers, which is the union that represents um, the John Deere workers. And in the, another big old union, the Teamsters, um, where the members are calling for democratization. Could you talk a little bit more about their demands, the issues, and how a more democratized union has better, really just better effects? Sure. Yeah. So there, uh, there's some real big parallels in those unions. And I think there are also some, some commonalities between the, say, the John Deere strike and some of the things that people have been speaking up about in the, the already happening strikes. For example, at Kellogg, where, uh, the, the the slogan they're using is the future is not for sale. And it has to do with these multiple tiers that people are experiencing. The contract that John Deere vote, uh, workers, the 10,000 of them uh, in the UAW, just voted down. Um, one of the major reasons that they voted it down was because it uh, effectively eliminated or seriously diminished, it's a little bit hard to know, uh, pensions for for new hires uh, basically got rid of them already uh, post nineteen ninety seven uh, people who got hired after nineteen ninety seven have uh, received i think about a third of what uh, previous workers had received in pensions and so they 've been working really hard throughout the pandemic as many people have, and they 've seen this company become more profitable than it has ever been in recent memory. Um, they're set to, uh, in 2013, their previous recent record, they, the company John Deere was set to make uh, $3.5 billion. This year, they're on track to do somewhere between 5.7 and 5.9 billion. So really just like skyrocketing. And at the same time, they're, they're offering uh, fairly minimal wage increases and uh, asking or asking, demanding uh, concessions. And, the UAW leaders, uh, the, the local and national leaders of the UAW who bargained this contract, uh, those who spoke up about it recommended the contract to say that, they, that it should be accepted. And it was overwhelmingly voted down this past Sunday. Uh, and there's some really, really great coverage in Labor Notes from my uh, colleague, Jonah Furman, who's been working really closely on this. Um, and so this ties in with a, a broader fight uh, within the UAW and with the labor movement uh, around democracy within the union. Um, the really explosive corruption scandals within the UAW over the past couple of years uh, have led to a, a court-ordered referendum within the union uh, to allow that would allow members to vote directly vote for the top officers of their union. This is uh, well, it seems like it might be a, a pretty common democratic practice within the labor movement. It is actually incredibly uncommon. There are very few unions in the United States where if you are a union member, you get to vote for the top officers of your national union. The Teamsters are one of the other ones after a long anti-corruption fight that culminated in the 1980s with uh the reform group Teamsters for a Democratic Union helping to win this. Um, the the Laborers Union, I believe, is one of the other ones. Uh, and now UAW members uh, later this month have the opportunity to vote on this. And this is potentially really important because the same people who negotiated and encouraged this uh, deal, this John Deere contract that people voted down, 
could be up for election uh, for the, for direct elections for the first time ever in the history of the United Auto Workers Union. And just for reference, the the guy who negotiated the last John Deere contract uh, went to jail for corruption and just got out. Uh, wasn't directly elected by the members, right? There was no opportunity to do that. You could imagine people who are really upset about this and about this deal uh, could uh, decide to take that energy to try to, to change the top dogs of the UAW. Um, and there's a, a really great uh, group, uh, United uh, Unite All Workers for Democracy, UAWD within the UAW, that's working to uh, try and push this referendum and push for democratic reforms within the UAW. Um, on the on the Teamsters front, uh, because this is also coming up, another big election that's happening. Um, the uh, the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, one of the largest unions in the country, uh, I believe 1.3 million members is uh, is currently right now. Ballots have gone out for a national election. Um, this is uh, the first uh, post Jimmy Hoffa Jr. election, Jimmy Hoffa Jr. being president of the Teamsters Union since uh, 1998, 1999. Uh, and so he's retiring. It's uh, going to be his successors versus this group of reformers, many of whom are motivated by the same anti-concessionary uh, currents that we see within the UAW and within other unions. Um, there was in 2018, there was a highly unpopular contract at UPS. Uh, UPS is the largest uh, private sector contract and uh, uh, reformers coming out of the, the vote no movement around that are trying to take over the union to, to push for democratic reforms within their union. And uh, by the end of this year, we may, very well may see uh, some reformers, democratic reformers in the leadership of the Teamsters. Well, that's something to watch out for. Something we wanted to talk about but didn't was also Teamsters' current um, efforts to to unionize uh, uh, some some Amazon workers. So I encourage all of our listeners to look into that. Thank you so much, Joe, for joining us from Labor Notes. Labor Notes does great coverage on on the labor movement stuff that we need to be looking out for that lacks in mainstream media. So thanks again, and uh, we're going to move on here. But but uh, keep keep on the good work. Thank you so much.